STOSA, or single team oriented service architecture, is an important guiding principle for organizations that have development teams that own and manage applications that are composed of multiple services. It's a management model for optimizing the scalability and availability for all cloud native applications. In this episode, listen for any organization looking to improve their operation and development efficiencies in a cloud native world. Are you ready? Let's go. This is the Modern Digital Business Podcast, the technical leader's guide to modernizing your applications and digital business. Whether you're a business technology leader or a small business innovator, keeping up with the digital business revolution is a must. Here to help make it easier with actionable insights and recommendations, as well as thoughtful interviews with industry experts, Lee Acheson. In this episode, I talk with my good friend, Beth Long who interviews me on the topic of STOSA. Hello there, I am Beth Long. I'm an engineering manager at Jelly.io and I am here talking with Lee Atchison. And today I want to dive into a discussion of STOSA, also known as single team owned service architecture, which is a topic that I know is near and dear to Lee's heart. Um, I first came across this concept uh, described in this way in his book, uh, Architecting for Scale from O'Reilly, and have always been um, really interested in this general topic. And I thought today would be a great chance to deep dive into what it is and how to do it well. So I thought I would kick us off by just asking you, since uh, this is an area that you are so familiar with, what is single-team-owned service architecture? Sure, single-team-owned uh, service architecture. Basically, it's kind of a philosophy of how to um, set up your organization, your development organization, to uh, build, operate, and manage a service-based application. And the whole philosophy behind it is, is um, how you can build an organization that can scale. So the organization itself can scale to handle however large and complex your application is without suffering from availability issues, deployment issues, scaling conundrums of all sorts and all that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a series of guiding principles or ideas that help make that practical. And maybe the best way to do it is to go through the list from the there's actually, I describe it in the book, but also there's a website that I created that has a, a um, outline directly on, on, on what the, the, um, the criteria are. And if you want to follow along, it's uh, stosa.org, S-T-O-S-A.org. But um, uh, why don't I just, we just go through this and we can talk about each one in turn, what it means and go from there. That sounds great. Okay. So uh, several principles, but the basic heart of it is that your, your organization is building an application that's constructed using either service-based architecture or microservice-based architectures, one of those, those two. And we could have several podcast episodes talking about what the difference is between those two or lack of difference between those two, but, but, but basically either, either one of those types of architectures. And you also have to be 
it large enough to have multiple development teams in your organization. So you've already scaled the organization to the point where you have more than one, um, a two pizza team for lack of a, of a better term, um, that, that are uh, building and operating the application. And I guess that's kind of a, a defining principle. The, the development team format um, is very similar to the two pizza team that Amazon is, is famous for. And the idea is that, that you want to have your teams associated with the service and own the service. And owning the service means uh, all aspects of the service, the development of the service, the, the um, product management of the service, the deployment, the operation, the problem solving, the first line pager duty responsibilities when a problem occurs, all of that is in the responsibility of a single team. And so each service needs to have a team that owns that service 100%, all aspects of that service. Uh, and it's a, it's a one-to-end relationship. So each service has to have a single team that owns it. And that single team may support multiple services, may own multiple services, but each of those services has exactly one team owner. So if you have um, you know, teams A, B, and C, and services one, two, three, four, and five, you know, team A may own services one, three, and four, and team B may own services two and five, but each of those services, exactly one team owns it and no more than one team. That's a really important aspect. And, and the reason why that's important is you have to have accountability. And so that, that ownership has to be well understood throughout the organization, well known, well documented, that this team owns this service. So anything that happens to that service has to go through that one team. Um, next one is teams are responsible for all aspects of managing this service, from architecture to design, through uh, development, you know, coding of the service itself, testing, deployment, monitoring, pager duty, incident resolution. All aspects of it are owned by that one team. There's not a separate support organization. There's not a separate operations organization. Everything is a responsibility of that one team. And, and, and then there's some requirements for the services themselves. And one of the first ones is that the services have to be isolated. They have to be self-contained and they have to have strong APIs that describe the boundaries of the services. So if service A wants to talk to service B, it can only talk to service B using a well-defined, well-documented API that's available and, and, and agreed upon between all the teams involved. Um, and the boundaries include not only a description of what the service needs to do, but the SLAs for that service. Um, now, you'll hear terms like SLA versus SLO versus I prefer to use the term SLA everywhere because um, a lot of people will say, well, if it's internal, you want to use SLO. SLAs are reserved for external customers. In my mind, all connections are to customers. Whether it's an internal customer or an external one, it doesn't matter. It's, they're all customers. So I always like to use the term SLA. So if service A wants to use service B, that API into service B has to be well-defined and there has to be well-defined SLAs defined for the expectations 
a service A can have on that service. You know, that includes things like performance, latency, um, but also both directions, you know, maximum number of calls you can make and maintain this level of service and what happens to service when latency or things like latency when the number of calls increase beyond a certain limits, all that needs to be well-defined. And this is for every service talking to every other service in the application. Internally, everywhere within the application, not just external boundaries, but all boundaries between all services across team team boundaries. So what it all boils down to then is if you own a service and you're using 10 other services, you're responsible for your service and you are and you can expect that the other teams that own the other services are responsible for their services and will meet the level of performance that they have defined. So if a problem in an application occurs, it now becomes very clear who owns the problem. If your system, if your service is misbehaving and all of your dependencies are working fine, the problem's yours. But if your service is misbehaving and it's because some other service is failing an SLA expectation, then that other team is the one that's responsible and they're the ones that are on the hook to fix it and to make sure the problem is resolved. And they are failing one of their SLAs and they need to resolve the issue. In a large complex organization, a large complex application, it starts becoming a lot clearer when a problem occurs where to focus the efforts on fixing that problem because of these arrangements yep. that exist. So that leads me to a question for you about um, in, a, in a true STOSA organization, um, how should teams be thinking about uh, being resilient to upstream problems? So uh, do you think that STOSA encourages kind of a, a hands-off approach of, well, this was my upstream dependencies problem? Is there a, a good rule of thumb that teams can use to judge we should be able to tolerate a certain amount of disruption from our dependencies? That's actually a great, uh, great question. It's actually probably the number one question I get about STOSA. And it's often phrased a different way, and that is, doesn't STOSA encourage finger pointing? <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and the service kind of looks like it does. But the fact of the matter is, you are responsible for your service, period. If your dependencies are failing, you know where to look to try and find the problem. But it's still your service that's failing, and you are still yes. responsible for that. And this, so the whole point of having these SLAs and finding out where the problem is, isn't to pass the buck. And that's not the point here. If your service is failing, you're responsible for it. You're responsible to doing whatever it takes to make your service work. But STOSA gives you the ability to easily or a lot easier find out where to look to, to solve the problem. Now there's gonna be cases where, for instance, one of your dependencies isn't working has a problem and they're going to have a, they may have a massive problem that's going to be very, very hard for them to fix. You still are on the hook to figure out how to make your service work. And perhaps what you want to be doing is thinking about how can I bypass the failing service? How can I work around whatever problem they have? If they're having a latency problem, are there things that I can do to make, 
me so I'm now passing my SLAs and working correctly even though one of my dependencies is failing. Because fact of the matter is you're, you're people who are depending on you don't care that the problem is somewhere else. They care that your service is failing and they wanna see you fix the problem. So it's still important that you are on top of fixing problems. You are not off the hook for fixing your service if you can point to a downstream dependency that's failing. You're yep. still on the hook for fixing it, and that's still a critical aspect of this model. Yeah, that, that really resonates. And I, I can say from experience both at places that I've worked and then at a, a lot of companies that I've talked to um, about their SRE and operational programs, I, a lot of finger pointing and blaming and that, that kind of uh, culture tends to arise when there's confusion and frustration and that's a byproduct of not knowing where the problems are and not understanding who's response. Not having yeah, visibility, visibility. Where problems And are. so when you have that clear visibility, you can reduce that tendency because now you know what's happening and where and why, and you can actually get traction on the problem. Yeah. When I was at AWS, the, the, you know, I owned the Elastic Beanstalk service, which was Actually, at the time, one of the very first services at AWS that was a PaaS level um, uh, right. versus a or, or, uh, versus a infrastructure level product, and so we, uh, uh, you know, what Elastic Beanstalk would do is it would launch lots of other lower level services and connect them all together, and then you end up with a running application, and. And it was, and there's other lots of systems that do that now in AWS and in other cloud providers. But Elastic Beanstalk was one of the first that did that. And the biggest problem that we faced with that was our performance was entirely dependent on the performance of the underlying systems. There's very little we could do to affect our performance. And you know, it was as the owner of that service, it was very frustrating when you have a, you know, a a, a three minute to uh, uh, SLA to launch an application, and it's taking a minute and a half to launch an EC2 instance, and which in the early days of AWS wasn't all that uncommon. You know, there was a lot of things that, that, that could go on there. So, you know, if, if it takes you a minute and a half to launch an EC2 instance, you have to launch a bunch of EC2 instances in, in a total of three minutes in order to have your application up and running. And oh, by the way, you have to do lots of other things. Well, how do you make that happen? And you'd end up with real creative things like, let's have a pool of EC2 instances already running and attach them and do all sorts of things like that, just so that we can, we can meet our SLAs, even though we couldn't depend as much, or we, we couldn't depend, you know, they were meeting, EC2 was meeting their SLAs, but the SLAs weren't good enough for us. Right. So, so then we it was had up to, to get you creative. To figure out, yeah. Yeah. In order to figure out how using the SLAs that the other services provided to us, how we can meet our aggressive SLAs for what we were trying to do. And 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 you can do that when you have a model like Stosa that puts very clear what you're responsible for, what you can influence, and what you can't influence. So so if we had a if we, as the owners of Elastic Beanstalk, had a three-minute SLA where we had to launch an instance of Elastic Beanstalk in three minutes, and that requires us to launch all of these other smaller uh, other services that go along with that, 
And that means we had requirements from those other services. We had SLAs provided to us from those other services that we had to adhere to. We couldn't influence them. And we could negotiate and and you know and talk about options and things like that, but but ultimately they had their own requirements that they had to deal with. If I had a requirement that I couldn't meet with my dependencies requirements, it was my responsibility to get creative to find a solution. You know, whether that was caching running instances to attach later or whatever it was, it was my responsibility to solve that problem. I can, I could do that by getting creative. I could do that by negotiating with my partners to have better or different SLAs available to me. And I can certainly do that. That encourages communication between me and my downstream dependencies. Or I could communicate upstream and say, hey, three minutes isn't reasonable. Can we make this three minutes, 30 seconds? And it, it, can we make that the business requirement? And it allows me to communicate that way as well too. It, it doesn't dictate which of those things you do, but it gives well-defined avenues for the things that are available to you in order to solve the problem. I had one of those three choices. And in this particular case, I couldn't affect my downstream. I couldn't change my SLA. I had to do you know, some pretty fancy caching in the middle of things in order to get things to work the way I, I needed them to for launch. It's just the way we had to make it work. Looking to become an architect? Or perhaps you are looking to learn how to drive your organization towards better utilization of the cloud. I have a whole series of cloud and architecture courses available on LinkedIn Learning. For more information on the courses I have available, please go to leeatchison.com courses or click the link in the show notes. Um, one question that, that also came to mind was, um, if you have an organization that that has, let's say, a microservices architecture and, and is able to apply STOSA, but they've gotten maybe a little sloppy over time and, and boundaries have gotten fuzzed, what should organizations be thinking about when they go to divide up uh, ownership and, and make it single team? Are there... Are there rules of thumb that they can think about or uh, things that they need to be cautious of? And I've actually got a couple of specific examples in mind that we can talk about, but I'm, I'm curious before I lead you with those examples, what, what you'd say. Sure. I, I think the first thing I would say is focus first on the ownership. Worry about defining SLAs and defining responsibilities second. But get the ownership right first. Once you have the ownership defined, then you have the responsibility defined and then SLAs can come out of that. So don't get tied up with um, complex calculations of what SLAs should be internally in order to make the entire application work. That's irrelevant. The SLAs are a tool that the owners use, but you can't use that tool if you don't have the owners in the first place. Focus on the ownership aspect. Get that in place first the rest comes out of it. That That's the tool that they use to make that happen. But focus on the ownerships. Without the ownership, nothing else matters. The other thing is, um, one of the things that people struggle with sometimes when they focus on building a STOSA organization is 
What about things like shared services? What about things like, um, you know, I'm responsible, f- you know, the service owner is responsible for deploying the application. Well, if I've got a thousand teams doing deployments and they use a 500 different ways to do deployments, that's suboptimal. Well, owning how to do something doesn't mean that you have to reinvent the wheel to make that happen. So what I recommend in things like that is it's still okay to have shared services. It's still okay to have a deployment team who's responsible for building the tooling that allows you to do deployments. But it's important to note though that the service owner is still the one that's responsible for the deployment. For them to to accomplish that responsibility, they can contract to the shared service team that has a deployment tool and says, hey, we wanna use your tool, what's your SLAs? And will they meet my needs? So now the shared team, the, the shared tool team is now a downstream dependency of the, of the service owner. The service owner is still responsible for deployments. If the deployment can't happen, that's their responsibility. They're the ones though, though that have subcontracted that work, if you will, to a shared team that can do the work. Now, in a purely STOSA environment, the owner of the service would be perfectly within their rights to say, I don't want to use that shared team because it doesn't meet my needs. I want to do it myself a different way. And that's a good model and an okay model. There is some, um, you have to be careful with that because that still could encourage 500 different ways of doing deployments. But now whether you have one way to do deployments or 500 ways to do deployment isn't an issue of your service owners all making bad or different decisions. It's the team that's responsible for providing this shared service, not doing their job because they're not making a tool that solves the needs of their potential customers. So you can give the responsibility for making sure the shared tool meets the needs of all of their customers to the tool owner. And and it's their metric, it's part of their SLAs and their metrics to say, what percent of teams find your tool useful? And if you can't get everyone using your tool, you're not building an effective tool. So that's how that model works. So it's okay to have to have the, the ownership of which tool do I need to use in order to make my deployments happen, owned by individual service owners, allowing them to make whatever decisions they want, even if it does segregate into all these different tools. It's just, it's right. if you want to prevent that from happening, you need to create this central team that builds a useful tool that the service owners find useful that solves the problem for them. So central teams still work in this model and they're still useful in this model. And you can, you know, separate team ownership doesn't imply that you duplicate all the work a hundred thousand different times. It just means you get, you, you may duplicate the decision-making process that many times because that's the number of times you need to, in order to have it correct. Yeah. And that, that, so one thing I was thinking about as I was looking, um, looking at some of your materials was the, if folks are following along at home on the stosa.org site, there's a, uh, an illustration of the Stosa organization and you see the service owning teams and then they're supported by these uh, 
teams that that own shared tooling yep. right not shared in the sense of shared ownership but shared in the sense of lots of teams are making use of them to do what they need to right. do and so um so i was on one of the teams that fits this this middle tier description and you've kind of got a fractal going on because even though those teams own those teams own services that are shared in terms of their usage but they still own a service right. <laughs> And they're still responsible for that service and they're still responsible. Their customers are internal to the company, but they still have customers that they need to support. And Most teams, your customers are internal to the company. Very few teams, your customers are 100% external. And matter of fact, I would yeah. probably say virtually no teams are their customers 100% external. So you're going to be dealing with internal customers all the time. And, yep. and, and and it's important to think of your internal customers as just as important as your external customers. A lot of people will think that's sacrilege, you know, external customers are golden, they're, they're all that matters. But well, yeah, they're important. But if you can't meet the needs of your internal customers, the internal customers can't meet the needs of the external customers. So you if your customers are all internal, it's just as important that you make them happy as it is the external customers. That's, I love that point and it's so important. And it, it, I've seen that mentality that you're describing creep in in so many different ways, both at the, both at the engineer level, but also very much at the management yes. level where there's this kind of this attitude that if we're, if we're doing work for our internal customers, like we should be doing as little of that as possible and that always frustrated me because I thought, no, this is, you know, this is the the inner workings of a body. Yep. Like you need digestion, you need, you know, you need muscles, you need all of those things to be working well. And if you don't feed and and exercise those things, then you're not going to be able to go out and, you know, do the running that you're that you're seeing as your primary goal. So. Absolutely, I, I love the analogy yeah. of the human body. It really is. It's a, there's so many systems that have to work together. And they're self-dependent on each other for them to work together. And that's the way a, a healthy Stosa organization is. This concludes part one of my two-part discussion of Stosa with my good friend Beth Long. Stay tuned next time as Beth and I continue our discussion of what makes a healthy Stosa organization. Thank you for tuning in to Modern Digital Business. This podcast exists because of the support of you, my listeners. If you enjoy what you hear, will you please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or directly on our website at mdb.fm slash reviews. If you'd like to suggest a topic for an episode or you're interested in becoming a guest, please contact me directly by sending me a message at mdb.fm slash contact. And if you'd like to record a quick question or comment, click the microphone icon in the lower right-hand corner of our website. Your recording might be featured on a future episode. To make sure you get every new episode when they become available, click subscribe in your favorite podcast player or check out our website at mdb.fm. If you want to learn more from me, then check out one of my books, courses, or articles by going to leeatchison.com. And all of these links are included in the show notes. Thank you for listening and welcome to the world of the modern digital business.
100,000 of your peers have in common? They've all boosted their skill set and career prospects by taking one of my online courses. Go to mdb.fm slash courses. Join your 100,000 close friends and peers and expand your knowledge and expertise only at Atchison Academy. Atchison and Ken Gervonovich, my co-author on the book, Business Breakthrough 3.0. I think you're going to love this book. If you've wondered how your subconscious mind is like your business, this book is for you. Ken, what do you think? Yes, I think the subconscious mind, because again, businesses are simply a collection of people, but how do you get that enterprise agility? How do you get that spark factor that takes a company from 300 to 500 million? How do you build something from, you know, you and I are putting our desk together to 200 million. There's absolutely five distinct processes. But Lee, I almost think about it, the simpler part is, um, you know, it's really that kind of the, the definitive guide, at least that's our hope, right? For overcoming entrenched patterns and building a highly profitable business that most importantly attracts and retains people who truly love their job. It's coming out on Amazon and all of the major platforms that where you can buy business and technical books. It's coming out in hardcover, softcover, Kindle, ebook format, and it's coming out on Audible and on iTunes. So you'll have no excuse not to read, listen, or, or otherwise consume this book. Yes. And um, the exciting part, again, is we're hoping that this will have a huge impact. We've already got some great feedback from early readers. And once again, the book is Business Breakthrough 3.0 by Ken Gavranovich and Lee Atchison. Hope you enjoy.